Well, isn't that is isn't Letterbox out of ten? No, Letterbox is out of five as well. Ugh. And you you can only do half steps. Mm. You can't do quarter steps. No, make it quarter steps. <laughs> <laughs> Since you don't have a ten system, give me quarter steps. Exactly. I want to be ultra specific, please and thank you. Compromise. So, <laughs> hey there, film buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. This is episode 184, and I am your host, Paul, and I'm joined today by my wife, Lauren. Hi! Um, she's going to be my co-host for the, for the whole episode, uh, so it, it should be a good time. It's her first time. Are you, are you excited? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't want to mess up. You're going to be fine. <laughs> um, so today, Lauren and I are going to be talking about Candyman from 1992 and the Adjustment Bureau from 2011. Uh, Both are adaptations uh, and they're both kind of like things that are currently out right now. Um, You've got Reminiscence which is about a a man who uses technology to like relive memories to try and get to this woman that he can't get to which is kind of like Adjustment Bureau on a certain level right? Sci-fi technology keeping man apart from woman. Uh, and then we've got Candyman, which is, of course, the, the, the first film in the franchise, um, which is also actually a book franchise as well. Um, so that's sort of the reviews that we have in store. And then we're also going to talk about CinemaCon, and we're going to react to um, the trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home, and the final trailer for James Bond No Time to Die. So we've got quite the the packed episode for y'all. Um, so why don't we go ahead and jump right on into it? And so our first film is Candyman. So give it a listen. Have you ever heard of Candyman? And if you look in the mirror and you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman. They whisper his name. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. So, um, Candyman, the first film in the franchise from 1992, uh, is directed by Bernard Rose, and it's written by Bernard Rose based on a story, The Forbidden, uh, by Clive Barker. And the premise is, The Candyman... A murderous soul with a hook for a hand is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. And it stars Virginia Madsen uh, as our grad student, Xander Berkeley as her boyfriend, uh, Tony Todd as the Candyman, our titular bad guy, uh, Casey Lemons, and Vanessa Williams. Uh, It also has a little... Uh, cameo appearance by Ted Raimi, uh, brother of horror director Sam Raimi. So, uh, dear, uh, do you want to start this, or, or would you like me to to start? Um, you can start. Okay. Um, so like I said, Candyman is based on a, a short story, or a, a, not a short story, but it's based on a book, um, a previous material, but actually the previous material is all about class, and this Candyman, 
um, decided to make it more about race. And so they, they switch around some elements to it, and it takes place in, like, England in the book, and now it takes place in Detroit. Um, I'd heard about Candyman before. Um, I heard about Candyman more recently as, like, the discourse around the... Um, the discussion of horror has sort of shifted to be more inclusive. Um, you know, I had seen him in some lists about, like, horror icons and slashers, but, like, it wasn't really a thing that I knew much about. I mean, I would say that I just kind of knew about him in, like, a passing glance, kind of like the Boogeyman or mm-hmm. something like that. I never I never knew that it was, was a movie or um, was a part of horror in any way. I just kind of thought it was, like, an urban legend. Yeah, um, so I went into this, honestly, without a lot of real expectations. Um, And I actually, for the most part, I really liked it. I think that I liked it more as I digested on it, Mm -hmm. more. Um, But I really like it for the most part. It's not at all like a typical kind of horror film, I would say. Um, No, I'd say it's probably more like suspenseful than like true slasher i mean it does have some some gore (laughs) in it but it's pretty much like uh him like lurking in the shadows a little bit more so than like freddy krueger or something yeah um or you know he's he certainly isn't um you know the silent golem like michael or jason Mm -hmm. he is more chatty like a freddy but it, it isn't taunting it's meant to be a little bit more sort of almost seductive yeah um for the most part, I really, really like the movie, though. I think um, my overall positives for the film, just at large, are I think the performances are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that there's anyone who gave, yeah, other than, like, the the bimbo college girlfriend. The main <laughs> performances are all, like, really good. Um, I think that it's shot really well. I thought mm-hmm. that it was, like, a good-looking movie. Um, it's got a great score. Uh, the score is by Philip Glass, who does absolutely incredible um, synthetic, very late 80s, early 90s sounding scores that are always very operatic. Yeah. Um, so no, for the most part, like, honestly, I really dug it. My only real negatives, I would say, is that I think it does get a little bit lost more so in the third act, but we can talk more about that um, as we go. What are what are your thoughts at large? Um, for the most part, yeah, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I, I really enjoy like a good horror movie. And I thought that this kind of, you know, fed that that need for me. Uh, you don't get to see a lot of black horror icons. So this was this was fun um, to, to see a different kind of, you know, villain, let's say than than your average average story um i i liked the fact that they they kind of talked about like the racial injustice in this i'm it felt really targeted i feel like we keep like repeating things in history yeah so (laughs) i was like wow man speaking to right now you know and this was back in the 90s so but no i really i really enjoyed the movie honestly well and i i think that um the movie is, I think, one of those that you do have to chew on a little bit. I don't think that it necessarily gives you everything on on the like the upfront. You kind of have to really sit and think about what it's what it's telling you, and and you also have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to a certain amount. I think um, 
there are certain questions and sort of doorways that it leaves open narratively, and I'm not sure that they're left open in a way that's satisfying or left open in a way that's just sort of open. But I think I think you're right. I think that his lore is very interesting. He's an interesting character. His backstory is steeped in racial injustice. He has a sort of um, very dark, racially motivated backstory that turned him into, you know, this sort of horror menace. Um, it's sort of almost like an Emmett Till kind of a story, yeah. almost. And I think it makes him effective and very different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um because Freddy Krueger was, you know, a, a maybe sex criminal who got burned alive by, like, angry parents. Um, and I think later on they maybe say that he was innocent. I can't remember. Um, but in, like, the remake, he's definitely not. Um, and then you've got Jason, who just isn't really at all, like, you know, the Jason that actually had the, the trauma happen to him. You know, the sort of disabled kid who was traumatized. No, because then he's like an adult mm-hmm. later, so I don't I don't know how you how you become an adult after you're dead, but whatever. Um, so no, I thought that I thought that he was interesting because he's more talkative, you know, like a Freddy Krueger as opposed to like a Jason or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and his performance, um, Tony Todd is an actor who like I've seen around before. Uh, you've all seen him around before. He's also done a lot of voice work. Um, beyond Candyman, you might know him from The Rock, um, from The Crow. Uh, what are some other things that he's been in? Justice League Dark, the, uh, the video, uh, movie that was straight to, straight to video. He was Dark Side. So, he's been around for some time, and I thought that he did a great job, um, in the part. Virginia Madsen is one that you don't really see often, and I thought that she did a great job here as well. Yeah. Um, no, honestly, my only, my only real critique with the movie is, is essentially once we, okay, so the movie goes along and it almost kind of fakes you out as though there's not going to be an actual horror figure for a long time. Yeah, they make it seem like it's all, you know, kind of like urban legend. Mm -hmm. That it's tied up to to people justifying essentially it almost becomes this thing of like oh this is how people justify you know some of the crime and things that have happened in these black communities is through these urban legends and it almost seems as this sort of out of like oh it was just the way that people talked about yeah you know mythologized crime in in black communities um but then it turns out of course that the Candyman is kind of real and it's at that moment that I think the movie does get both more interesting in some ways, but also a little bit more meandering in some ways. Yeah. Um, because it just, it, it's this really weird shift, and then it gets more supernatural, and then it does get very horrifying, like, very quickly. Yeah. And then it goes back to kind of a simmer again, and then it starts to get into, like, real supernatural horror stuff. Um and then we end up with, like, you know, the the her getting institutionalized and, and stuff like that. And I think that that part of the movie for me is the institutionalizing stuff is also probably, I think, institutionalizing a character is a hard thing for me. Because institutions are designed to be stimulus-neutral places. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really hard, I think, to do a story of a character in a confined space like that that's interesting. And I think that it's also then so hard to get them out of that space in a believable way. And I think that this movie runs into that exact problem. Yeah, I mean, I think that my problem with the movie does also lie in the third act because it starts out, you know, the first time we see the Candyman, he's like in the shadows, off, you know, monologuing at her. And then she gets like possessed by the spirit of the Candyman and creates, like does crimes in his, in his name almost. Um, and then after that, he doesn't possess her anymore. She just is constantly like in the wrong place at the wrong time or he's stalking her or whatever because she doesn't do a thing ever again and everybody's like well it has to be her because she did it the first time and she keeps conveniently being everywhere and so I think for me that's kind of where the the movie just kind of didn't pick a lane and stick with it they just kind of like it jumped around a little bit more than I would like it to have yeah and he's trying to on a certain level right the wrong that happened to him by using Helen and this child as a way to create his surrogate family kind of in this dark afterlife. Um, But I think my issue with that is that um, I don't think that they make it clear enough that there is supposed to be this kind of connection back to his past. They do this kind of, you know, spoiler alert a little bit. Um, They do this kind of almost Dracula-like thing where the woman that he loved in the past is represented almost identically by a woman you know in the in the present and i think for me my my issue there is that i don't i don't know if they really tie his plotting enough to that sensation that he's wanting to kind of create this surrogate family it seems like he stole this baby and is torturing her because he wants her and then it's like no we're going to be together and be this whole family unit and i'm not sure that that whole thing for me was completely earned Um, Yeah, I feel like if they wanted to imply that more, they should have just, like, kept hinting at it from the beginning or, you know, the reason why she was studying this in the first place was because she had, like, some weird otherworldly connection, yada yada, doesn't matter. It could have, it could have been put in further in so that way later on I would have, I could have gone, oh, she was the, the chick from the past instead of, like, them kind of, like, uh carelessly just putting like two grains of salt on my fries and being like yeah it was it salty enough for you did yeah, you because also what are the odds that this woman who looks exactly like the woman that he loves would end up saying the name Candyman five times to allow him to then like stalk her but also he seemed so content to leave her unstalked until he you know, undid the urban legend stuff. So I think that essentially his whole motivation stuff there gets a little bit sticky. But other than that, I think the movie overall is really, really effective. And it's about gentrification and the mythification, you know, sort of of urban crime and and in particular crime from black communities and things like that. And I think that it's really interesting. And I honestly, like, with, with those points, I think that that is where the movie thrives is is with it you know being mirrored in the black community versus the the gentrified version of the community and seeing the parallels happen you know she gets attacked in the ghetto all the cops are out but all of these people have been murdered in the same place and nobody nobody hears from the cops and so it's i think that those are the points where the movie really is like 
hits, you know, closer to home than I would like it, but, like, in a nice sweet spot where, like, I can still enjoy it and, like, I, I would like for more people to also to watch this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I liked this enough that um, I'm definitely more interested now in how this new one is is comparatively to this other one. Mm-hmm. There are several Candyman films. At some point, we can watch all of them. I, I'd be totally fine to watch that. Um, I think there are like f- like four. So this is the first one. Mm-hmm. The okay. first, first one. I think this new one that is doing the whole like reboot with the same name thing. Um, it's kind of like the Halloween franchise where they were like, no, just just the first one and then this. Don't don't worry about anything else, really. Yeah, kind of. Except they do call they do actually harken back to the movie's mythos apparently with this um, almost paper doll like um, end credit sequence that does the backstories of the the Candyman hive as all of the spirits that make up Candyman are called. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a whole, like I said, there's a whole mythos. <laughs> um, actually, friend of the show, Nick Delgadillo, said that, in his opinion, they get too bogged down in the mythos in this new one. So I'm curious to see what, what that'll be like. It it did great at the box office. It did 22 million in theaters, I think, mm. or 20 million in theaters. Um, so it, it really did fantastic. It did better, I think, than expected. So it's it's absolutely dominating. The new one is written by... Jordan Peele and directed by uh, Nia DaCosta. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Jordan Peele a lot. I'm curious why he didn't direct it. Maybe he was just busy or maybe he just didn't want to. Um, but it still definitely has his fingerprint all over it. Like he was, you can tell that he was on set a lot. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does give me a lot of like get out vibes or like us vibes, you know, um, <laughs> just enough. So, but I liked this one definitely well enough that that I would consider myself a fan of this first one and an interested in continuing on and, and seeing more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, slasher series are always hard for me. You know, that was something that we talked about with Clark Collis in last week's episode was the repetition of them and things like that. But this is something a little bit fresh and a little bit different, so I'd be curious to see where it goes. I'd, I'm, I'd also be curious to see how, I guess whether or not the franchise decides to continue trying to adapt from the books or just goes and does its own thing completely. I mean, you know, I just hope that they that they choose something more interesting than whatever gets them more money. <laughs> no, that's fair. Uh, so on the Film Buds Twitter, which is at Film Buds, you can follow us there, we did a little poll on slashers. So I, I did four slashers. I did Candyman, Mike Myers, Freddy Krueger, and Jason Voorhees. And I wanted you all to vote on who your favorite was. And with 37% of the votes, the winner was Michael Myers. Oh. Um, which is fair. Like, he's sort of the Mac Daddy of them all, I'd say. And he's very popular right now as well i mean yeah with all of the the new movies coming out yeah um in second place it was a two-way tie between Candyman and freddy krueger um so i thought that that was pretty interesting um, and our last placer our last placer was was poor jason oh how the mighty have fallen when i was a kid people wouldn't shut up about jason and especially about freddy versus jason the movie 
Mm, how times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, he sadly was, was at bottom. Um, but no, I really, in, I, I truly enjoy this. I think it's a good movie. I enjoy watching Virginia Madsen essentially sort of forced into becoming mythologized crimes, you know, and, and that sort of downward journey. And I really enjoyed the movie overall. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, overall, I think, uh, rating wise, um, I think that I'll, I'll go, I'll go tentative four. Okay. Yeah. I'm like bouncing between three and a half and four. So I'm going to, I'm going to smack right in the middle, uh, 3.75. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, like a three, seven, five feels more honest, but you know, like I can't put that on letterbox. So, um, (laughs) Yeah, that's Candyman. Um, and if you if you've seen it before, you know, come and let us know what you think. Uh, if you've seen the new one, let us know what you think. Um, I'm definitely inclined to to see the new one for sure. Maybe once it's on streaming. Yeah. Um. So why don't we go ahead and start talking about our next film, which is The Adjustment Bureau from 2011. And per usual, we have a clip. So take a listen. What is this? We are the people who make sure things happen according to plan. We monitor the entire world. Can't outrun your fate, David. You've just seen behind a curtain that you weren't even supposed to know existed. So that was the Adjustment Bureau, which again came out in 2011. It is directed by George Nolfi, uh, who, again, also wrote the screenplay. This is another one with a writer-director, um, you know, two-hander. And it is directed, or it is adapted off of the Philip K. Dick short story adjustment team. Uh, so, again, another adaptation as wow. well. Um, this one stars Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Michael Kelly, uh, Anthony Mackie, John Slattery, and Terrence Stamp. Uh, And the premise of the film is the affair between a politician and a contemporary dancer is affected by mysterious forces keeping the lovers apart. Um, I, do you, why why, why don't you take this one uh, to, to start? You had seen this one before, correct? Yes, so I can't I can't give you exact details on on how or when or why I watched this movie in the past um because honestly, I couldn't really remember it and that is not to the the movie's fault. Honest, I It's it's not because I don't like the movie. <laughs> I just have I just have a hard time remembering. Um but no, I really enjoy this movie. I think that I like the the weird like um, the weird twist with the how the adjustment bureau works and the the going through doors stuff. I really like the mechanics of this movie. I think that it's a really kind of like simple, almost. Um, it kind of reminds me a lot of like the Bourne movies. I guess that's probably why they put Matt Damon in it. Is is Matt is Matt Damon Bourne? Okay, okay, cool. Um, but it kind of, yeah, it feels like, you know, a man getting chased around and doesn't understand why he's getting chased because of some higher power. Um, 
but no, I really, I really like it. I think that Matt Damon does a really great job. I, I love Emily Blunt in this movie. Um, after, you know, what, uh, Devil Wars Prada is like around this time as well. It was nice, you know, seeing a completely different character than that from this same era. Um, yeah, no, those are, those are like my first kind of thoughts on it. No, I think that's all fair. Um, I had seen this before. I, I quite liked that this came out, um, like our senior year of college or senior year of college, senior year of high school. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm not that old yet. Um, this came out our senior year of high school and, you know, I really dug it. I liked the, I liked the world. I liked how it was building at that point in time. I had just started getting into some of the earlier Philip K. Dick adaptations like Blade Runner. And so this one struck a lot of chords for, for me back at, at that point in time. I, I really enjoyed the movie still. Um, I think that it's, it's a really like just stable movie, mm-hmm. you know, are there maybe some holes somewhere in the logic of the, of the system? I'm sure. But for the most part, I think that it does a really good job of, of giving me two characters, making me like them well enough that I want them together Mm-hmm. and then constantly creating obstacles for them. Yeah. And I think that it really does a good job of doing that organically, of building the stakes. Um, and I, I I really enjoy the movie as an overall experience. I think that it still holds up as as a cinematic experience. You know, there's there's things that are like it, of course, but I, I think that I think that it's a really solid, experience i have no idea if it's a good adaptation i haven't read the adjustment team story i don't Um, think i don't think anybody has i don't know (laughs) he's he was philip k dick was once very widely read and i'm sure that he is still read to an extent but you know you you see a lot of the people who obviously grew up reading philip k dick continuing continuing to do that that kind of thing so i think that like the issue is that that itch is kind of scratched by certain things like black mirror Mm -hmm. um and and some of that more sort of and and even with amazon's you know philip k dick series that they did that was meant to be kind of like a black mirror competitor Mm. so it still definitely has, you know, his his legacy is still definitely there, although I'm not sure, to your point, that people are really going back and reading the shorts. I think that probably, you know, people are just going back and, and watching the movies. Yeah. Um, As far as Philip K. adaptations do, go, I I think Adjustment Bureau is is probably as good as any of the other great ones. Um, Again, I this is... I guess it's kind of boring as an episode on a certain level. I don't really have a lot of like complaints about Candyman. I don't really have ter- terribly many complaints about Adjustment Bureau. No, it's just like a nice, easy movie to watch. You can sit down, watch it with your with your parents, or you know, with your with your kids or whatever. Like, there's nothing really that bad in this movie that I would think that it wouldn't be something that everybody could watch. Even though I think it's like PG thirteen, so I guess keep that in mind if you have younger children and you're one of those people. Um, but like, no, I really don't think that anything in this movie is like too terrible. That like, I I wouldn't just like throw this on every once in a while just because I like watching it. Yeah, like there's nothing terribly objectionable in it. Um, I mean, Matt Damon is maybe I guess arguably a. a character of some controversy and of course also philip k dick is a character of controversy as well but beyond those sort of i guess 
you know, sort of issues. And Matt Damon isn't the worst thing in the world. He's a little bit of a fucking idiot, but, you know, oh no. <laughs> he's a he's a sometimes dumb white guy. Who could have ever expected something like oh, that? No. So, you know, no offense, Matt, but, you know, you know that some of those didn't look good. So, but beyond that, you know, I... I I think it does a really good job of building tension. I like the I like the world. It has some pretty clear rules. Um, it's it's a young Anthony Mackie performance, which is great. Um, yeah, yeah. This was my first Anthony Mackie performance before I knew that he was Falcon. You know, in that weird gray area before most of us knew who Anthony Mackie was. That's okay. It happens. Yeah. Uh, two actors from the main cast of this film are have gone on to have marvel roles we've got anthony mackie who of course went on to become the falcon and then we also have terrence or not terrence stamp john slattery who went on to be howard stark or he had already been howard stark actually at this point oh because iron man 2 had happened before right, this right, right no look at that mm-hmm. honestly hollywood is so tiny sometimes yeah small world um yeah, I think if you haven't seen it, I think that it's probably one of those that's that just sort of doesn't get mentioned a lot. I, I don't think that it necessarily did like outstanding at the box office. I can look real quickly. And I feel like that's probably why I just don't really remember it watching it the first time. It's just kind of like, you know, it came, it went, and then other things happened in my life. Um, but I really enjoy it. And I, I feel like we should we should watch it more often. Well, and and it's not like groundbreaking you know you're not gonna walk out of it being like oh this this totally blew me away you know i think blade runner is is definitely like a uh, the the first one is definitely like a better weirder experience you know but i think that this is just a really stable adventure actiony romance driven kind of film yeah if you're if you're into action and you you like happy you know here you go uh so the budget of the film is estimated at 50 million it supposedly did 126 million worldwide so like it definitely did all right yeah Um, it's just like you know didn't go into sequel hell so i guess that's that's why it died i don't know um but no i definitely feel like this is one that people don't necessarily go and bring up as much or or try to highlight in any kind of way and i think that it's just a it's okay to be like just a really good movie you know it's good to just be good yeah and i think that this this movie is 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 good yeah um so for those who don't know philip k dick some other adaptations of his work include the man in the high castle as of course a a tv show Mm. um do androids dream of electric sheep became blade runner um total recall is one of his and he's he's also influenced of course countless things um all of it is pretty much science fiction um or or on the verge of science fiction um so when was he i guess um when was he popular when was he actively writing these things like what what decade okay so he was writing from uh 52 to 82 he was born in 1928 and he died in 1982 um wow writing up until his until his death yeah um but really what oh scanner darkly is another one of his um and minority report duh 
But what what really honestly kind of kicked it off was was Blade Runner, which came one year after his death. Oh. So maybe I'm not sure how intentional it was, but I think that Blade Runner probably end up being ended up being kind of like this this real posthumous marker for this author because it's it's after Blade Runner that we start to then get all of the other adaptations. That's later. so that's so weird. Like did they did they contact him before he died and ask to do all of this stuff or was it just like perfect he's dead now let's take his stuff and make make art out of it? You know, I'm not really sure how the I'm not really sure about the backstory of where Blade Runner came from. I don't know if he had spoken with Ridley Scott or in any kind of particular way. Um Apparently a screenplay had been in the works for years and uh, Philip K. Dick had been critical of all versions. This is according to Wikipedia, so do take a bit of a grain of salt. I apologize, I couldn't get something more concrete, but might I suggest following the hyperlinks at the bottom to a direct source. Um, So I could understand um, this being something that maybe had a script going around for a while. Um... This kind of whole thing kind of reminds me of the, the lady who wrote uh, Mary Poppins and her whole spiel with Disney. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Philip K. Dick, for those who don't know, yeah, I mentioned he's a figure of controversy. He was an atheist who then also had some sort of very strange, according to him, um, sort of almost paranormal experience. Uh, that converted him into some sort of believer of a kind. He was married a lot. He was married to one woman, actually, from, like, May to November of, of the same year. Wow. Um, he allegedly uh, drove uh, a woman off a, Like, he was driving, and there was a woman in the car with him, and he attempted to commit suicide, apparently, with her in the car. Um, he apparently sorry like trigger warning i guess on a certain level for spousal abuse i probably should have put that a little further in advance but um put it in the bio yeah he was no it was it was definitely he's he's he was not a, a necessarily mentally well uh person it seems um and yeah he's 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 quite the controversial figure and you know i don't think that he would have necessarily aged well uh with the rest of the times Ooh, they'd be a change in. Um, that's really interesting that this that he created kind of so much order, I guess, within his worlds. You know, there was the the with the the adjustment bureau itself. It's very it is bureaucracy. You know, there are rules. They 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 have a certain dress code or with Minority Report. I think that that's really weird that like he wrote himself like a perfect society. But he almost. also oftentimes villainizes that that order as well and that structure. You know, at the end of the day, the Adjustment Bureau is the bad guy, and what wins out in the day is is bucking order. And with Minority Report, you know, your whole life's been written out on paper for you. The mm. society says so right here. Yeah. You're supposed to turn out just like this. <laughs> And, you know, a, a man has to go and prove, against all odds, that that isn't who he said he was going to be. 
I mean, I guess, yeah, he's just going through, like, a 30-year, like, a rebel stage. He was like, you can't bring me down, the man. No, yeah. And and then I'm just going to be a toxic member of society. That's fine. That's fine. You do you, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, that's also, though, I think reflective of, of sort of him being in the times that he was in. Because it yeah. was, you know, McCarthyism yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was very prevalent. And... You know, you had people like Orwell who were writing stuff like 1984, and so on a certain level it is very it is very predictive, and I think that that's why his fiction ended up propelling so many modern people forward, is because mm-hmm. it ended up being so predictive on a certain level and prosaic, you know, for what was to come. Fascinating. Like a dark Gene Roddenberry. Mm. Like if Gene Roddenberry sucked. And, and his future was bleaker. <laughs> oof. Oof, oof, oof. They can't all be gems, I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all that said, um, Adjustment Bureau, you know. All of that s- aside. You know, and you can't separate the art from the artist, but I think that you, if you think about him as someone who's probably very troubled by their life and feels like, you know, they were sort of boxed in, not excusing any of his behavior, but I think that it ends up becoming very expressive in his art. Yeah. Um, and in the themes of everything that he ended up writing, right? What was the bad guy of Blade Runner after? Freedom, life, you know? Um, mm. So, you know, I think that he ended up, did he still, you know, regardless of, of the person that he was, did make things that had an impact. And this is a really solid adaptation, I think, or, you know, at least thematically, I think it fits in with everything else that, that he's done. Um, and I enjoy the experience of the movie every time I watch it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun little ride. It makes you, it makes you think. It's, it's very suspenseful, I would say. Yeah, um... Honestly, you know, not saying that this is a bad film, I'd, I'd probably, I guess, would go, like, I guess I would honestly still probably just go three and a half. I'd say that that's a... Just because it isn't gonna, you know, rock your world. <laughs> you know, this isn't necessarily, like, you know, the best film ever made. Yeah, but it's not the worst. No, I, I we'll, we'll go four. You know what? Let's go four. <laughs> Let's go four. I like it. Okay, let's I'm be, gonna let's be let's be good to good things. We're gonna we're gonna double down on that. I'm gonna also go with a four. All right. Um. So, those were our reviews. As always, if you have any opinions on those, you're welcome to share them. Um. You know, you can go and share them with us on Twitter. Um. Oh, I I forgot about actually one thing. Speaking of Twitter, I also did another poll on Twitter. Eh. <laughs> um. And I chose four of his big movie adaptations, since Man in the High Castle is a TV show, and I did a poll. Uh, Blade Runner, Minority Report, Total Recall, and The Adjustment Bureau. Which one is your favorite Philip K. Dick adaptation? And we have a two-way tie for the winner, uh, with 50% Blade Runner, and with 50% Minority Report. Uh, Total Recall and Adjustment Bureau didn't get a thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I think that's fair. You know, Blade Runner is... is, It's iconic, you know? And also so is Minority Report, Mm -hmm. you know? A lot of people talk about that as being one of Steven Spielberg's best sci-fi films. It's it's often on a lot of lists of just overall best sci-fi films. Um, 
people remember that eye scene, you know, very, very iconically. So I, I think that it's fair. Yeah, I mean, but hey, you know, you've got you've got a whole list of new movies now to watch. If if you haven't seen any of those, go and watch them. Tell us what you think. Um, I haven't I haven't seen much about Reminiscence that's inclined to make me watch it. That's why we picked this one is because of the new Lisa Joy written and directed, if I'm not mistaken, film starring Hugh Jackman. Um, has a trailer dropped? Have yeah. We, have we seen anything? Uh, a trailer has dropped. I haven't, I okay. haven't seen it because I haven't gone out of my way to look into it. Um, just because there's so much stuff coming out that it kind of caught me by storm that this one was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time that I knew it was coming out, I was like, well, I'll wait and see what reviews are like. And reviews came back very um, shruggish, I'll say politely, very mixed. Um, oh. She's the. A co-creator and co-executive producer of Westworld. Oh, okay. And she's married to Jonathan Nolan, the other the other uh, writer on Westworld, mm-hmm. who is related to Christopher. Oh, fun. Um, so this is her first time writing a feature, and like she's writing it solo and she's directing it. So good for her. Um, but yeah, it's apparently getting just sort of a a mixed response. Um, but I I'm I'll probably eventually see it. So is this one just in theaters, or is there like? I think it's we on. I think it's it? on HBO Max potentially. Oh, okay, cool, cool. They are eventually going to suspend the, the same day thing. I mean, I I get that. That makes sense. But you know? I think that this one still made it by the by the skin of its teeth. Yeah, get your get your opening night money. I understand that your your midnight watchers. That's fine, but you know, eventually put it out because. There is still a pandemic happening. Yeah. So yeah, um, that's why we picked the Adjustment Bureau, in in case you were curious, is because it's sort of, you know, this whole mind-bending sci-fi kind of thing. And and I'm sure that Lisa Joy, if she is, you know, a a diehard sci-fi stan, has probably seen some of the the adaptations and probably read some of the original materials as well. And when I heard the plot of Reminiscence, I was like, oh... That sounds like a Philip K. Dick story, so... I mean, who knows? Maybe she was very influenced by by his career. Yeah. Um, all right, well, moving on for y'all. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about two new trailers that came out. Um, the first one that we'll talk about is Spider-Man No Way Home, mm. um, which I thought was... I thought it was all right. I, I, I'm excited for the movie, but I'm also hesitant and, and a little bit skeptical of of the MCU overall. But for the most part, I think this looks fun. Yeah, it looks like a fun time. I'm curious of how many times the multiverse is going to split into multiverse splits, because it feels like now that it happened in Loki, it's just kind of happening all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to, to see this, like, kind of, I don't know, mashup movie is what I'm going to call it, of, like, all the Spider-Man uh, stuff from past um it looks it looks fun it looks poppy it looks colorful it it looks like a fun time how did how did you feel about de-aged alfred molina i i i don't think that he looks like himself from spider-man 2 but i but i do think that it looks like alfred molina yes it looks like him but not like him in spider-man 2 as we knew him yes i think that's a fair assessment it's a big it is a costume change the the biggest heartbreak for me um 
speaking of Doc Ock in this new movie, is just that Sam Raimi used a lot of incredible puppetry on Doc Ock's tentacles in Spider-Man 2. I think it was four people in arm. It was like a 16-man puppeteer team, or 16-person puppeteer team, uh, that made Doc Ock's arms move, and I know for a fact that none of that is here. Um, and I think that that's, I think that that's a real, a real shame. I mean, honestly, I think, I think that that's a huge shame, not only for those performers that are not having a job anymore because of, I guess, you know, maybe those jobs got transferred over to the CGI department. Uh, great. But, you know, those CGI people were still there. You had to mask out all the people. So we could have had both. (laughs) At the end of the day, we can always have both. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Uh, and also, of course, I think that even though Doc Ock's arms do break some rules, I think, for the most part, it's not overly egregious, whereas I feel like here they'll probably definitely stretch to, like, whatever length that they need, um, yeah. because we're not grounding it in anything, in no, anything it's, practical. No, it's, it's just really what the, what the movie needs, you know, at What that it'll moment. call for in exactly. that beat, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It needs to be 20 feet here and then 40 feet there. Don't you worry <laughs> about that. They stretch or something. I don't know. So, but other than that, I think it looks fun. Um, I hate the notion of this bringing in um, the Venom franchise or the upcoming Jared Leto Morbius movie because I'm not a big Jared Leto fan um, as, a, as a performer. And also, I'm just not an overall fan of the of the Venom movies. They haven't won me over. No, not not overly. Um, and huh, they are just they exist and they are there, and that's great. And I don't need to watch them. So, I I, I would prefer for them not to, to be a part of this because I, then I'm just gonna get a whole lot of like, oh well, I don't know what they're talking about in this movie now because it's talking about a Venom thing that I was never gonna watch. Um. The next trailer, oh, both both trailers are, are Sony properties. Well, uh, I guess Bond used to be a Sony property. He's not anymore, I don't think. Um, it's so hard to keep track of. Stop selling everything, people. Well, you know. Um, but the next trailer that we're going to talk about is, is No Time to Die, uh, which is the upcoming Bond film. It's apparently, you know, Daniel Craig's last time in the saddle. Oh, and they made that very obvious in the trailer. Um, with it being the epic final conclusion. <laughs> yeah, they. I really enjoyed the trailer being like a previously on other Bond movies of 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 Daniel Craigdom. Yeah, this trailer was long. Yeah, and all we saw were just clips of old movies past. It was like, remember that old it feeling? Was, it was a whole. It was it was a whole bunch of the old movie, and then it was a lot of repeated clips of the new movie that we've been seeing clips for 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 a long time now because that's what happens when your your marketing department has to market a movie for like twice the length that it was supposed to market a movie for well Um, when you don't adjust well in a national pandemic you get left behind so um it used a lot of clips that we've seen before there was some new footage in there but for me a lot of modern trailers i just think a show way too much Mm -hmm. and are also just way too long like three minutes for some of these trailers is just honestly brutal yeah i think Um, i think it was interesting though that they they definitely wanted to make sure that people were like oh this is about daniel craig don't you worry folks daniel craig is in it in case you doubted because like the last trailer felt more like a oh we're gonna pass off the 
torch to this other person and that other person was barely in this trailer yeah um but overall and for me honestly the marketing of this film hasn't sold me on the fact that this is any better than specter and i thought specter was a an atrocity um i think it's it's one of the worst bond films ever made i think it's um it'd be a stretch to say one of the worst movies ever made but it it certainly is not one that i think very fondly of in any capacity um especially because it retroactively hurts better films and that's a cardinal Mm -hmm. sin for me how dare you you get your grubby little paws all over something good um well that's a that's a whole different rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) so but this this hasn't sold me that this is any any better a film than specter was because specter was a pretty schlocky pretty crappy bond movie and this feels currently to me like a pretty schlocky pretty crappy bond movie yeah and the I marketing mean, hasn't helped. Yeah, no, it, it has not really, like, made me go, oh, yes, Bond, let me have it. This one was like a, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. You know, it was, need to need to take my shot and, and, and pray for the best. I just, I mean, that's how I'm going to go into it, honestly. Be like, all right, I hope. Yeah, um... I think that that's all pretty fair. So for the last thing, I just wanted to give y'all some updates on CinemaCon, which happened last week. The trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home actually was supposed to be debuted exclusively at CinemaCon, but part of it ended up getting leaked online, so they ended up leaking or, or posting the whole thing same day that it was debuted at CinemaCon. Also, uh, there was some footage shown for the new Top Gun movie, which apparently, you know, has everyone all a Twitter. They surprise screened um, the entirety of a film. I'm completely forgetting what it was that they screened, but they apparently like did a whole screening of on surprise of a of a movie. Mm. Uh, we also got, of course, the first footage of Matrix Resurrections, as it's now called, originally Matrix Four. Uh, directed by the Wachowskis again. Um, returning, of course, with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss and Lawrence Fishburne, but now they're jo- joined also by um, Neil Patrick Harris, Fun. amongst others. Um, I'm sure it'll be uh, a Matrix movie. I'm sure it's going to be whatever the fourth Matrix movie is. Take that sentence, however loaded it may sound, and... <laughs> I'm just so tired of people making, like, more of something that ended so long ago. Just stop it. Stop it. Make new things. Stop Stop repeating everything from the past. It doesn't make it better. Yes, it does. It can <laughs> only make it better, and how dare you. By the way, it was... Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, the upcoming Ghostbusters film, was in screened in whole. Oh, um, wow. But they're not allowed to talk about it right now. Very hush-hush. Um, this new one, the new Matrix movie, is actually just by Lana Wachowski as a director. It doesn't have Lana's sister. Um, and we haven't gotten the footage yet, but fans are demanding it, apparently. Uh, there's now a petition online, I believe, to, to get the footage released. Mm. Um, they showed off some some footage as well. Paramount showed off some footage of Mission Impossible 7, uh, highlighting in specific the crazy stunt that they're doing, because there now has to always be one. Did he get hurt this time? No, he hasn't. He, he didn't get hurt on production of this movie. However, um, they did end up getting a positive COVID case that might end up 
with a insurance uh, claim against the the set. Mm, there's always something. Yeah, there's <laughs> always something, folks. Someone <laughs> with money is always doing something. So, mm-hmm. uh, Jurassic World Dominion had footage shown, um, and the way that Gizmodo at least referred to it was as a Jurassic Park movie meets Indiana Jones, James Bond and jason Bourne. oh that's too much so i guess it's meant to be like a globe trotting experience what i heard from that is it's jurassic park but instead of us being in one island for a long time or an island in a mansion we're now going to be like going around to multiple places you know we've maybe got like a, a roving bad guy of some kind I mean, I guess that'll be interesting. We'll get to see um, dinosaurs in, in different environments and stuff like that. I, th- I just think it, it might get a little um, messy when it comes to the plot. Yeah. Um, also, apparently CinemaCon got the first look at The Northman, which is an upcoming Viking film by Robert Eggers, the director of The Witch and The Lighthouse. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I could be into that. Yeah, I, um, I liked both of those. Halloween Kills had some footage shown. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already seen too much of that movie. I don't want to see another drop. Um, if a new trailer comes out, I'm not watching it. So no. don't come here for more information. I already saw way too much in that first trailer. No, it's 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 hard when you give me your entire horror movie in the, in the trailer. And like I'm I'm sure that there are plenty of things that I'm going to be like, "Oh god, when I watch the movie," but like I'm I'm terrified that they're going to show me more of those moments and I I want to see them. No, yeah, you're you're giving me enough that I can pretty much like sculpt out the plot right now and you know, yeah, you can surprise me with stuff visually, sure, but, you know, at the end of the day, if it checks off all the boxes, then I was still right. <laughs> we also got, apparently, um, a little bit of new footage of the Batman, but mostly what happened was some some little interview bits were cut into some footage with Matt Reeves, where he talked about how how he's trying to make the story, you know, different than any Batman story that's mm. been done before. Um, I'm very excited about that one. Oh, yeah. Um, ten whole minutes of No Time to Die were shown. Um. (laughs) That'll be the next trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this one, this one was the final one. That's apparently it. Yeah, yeah, so they say. Well, it's coming out next month. Oh, okay, cool. Finally. Um, Oh, right. But yeah, so CinemaCon happens uh, annually. It's a big media event. Um, At the same time, actually, that CinemaCon was happening, GamesCon was happening as well. Um, So it it usually is studios go up day by day. There's a a sort of content schedule. Mm -hmm. You know, Paramount's going to speak in the morning and then Warner will do their panel in the afternoon and... There's a luncheon, you know, before all of that for producers and things like that. So CinemaCon is like a very big, big to-do. It's it's quite the media event. Um, so fancy. Yeah. Um, and it happens annually. Uh, it certainly is a place to watch for like a lot of news and things like that. And obviously we did get some some stuff out of it. We at least got, you know, the, the Spider-Man trailer. And I wouldn't be surprised if the first Matrix trailer that we do end up getting is just the CinemaCon trailer just released, you know, a month from now. Yeah. So was this um, con in person or was it still a, like a virtual thing? This was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was an in-person event. Ooh. 
I'm not sure, you know, if they required like vaccines or masks, but this was an in-person event. It was, uh, it cause, cause they do like all of the screenings there and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Well, I remember, um, Nick doing oh, yeah. the, the whole screening v- virtually for, yes, the, mm-hmm. the thing that, that Nick did. S- uh, South by Southwest. Yes, 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 yes. So I was just, I was more just curious of what, what their, um, deal was for this no, I'm pretty sure that this was an in-person event. Interesting. Cool. Um, beyond that, uh, there's honestly not too terribly much to, to tell y'all. I mean, she and I have been watching the same things. I know that that's shocking to you. <laughs> um, right here in this very room. Mm-hmm. Uh, lately, the only things that we've watched that weren't related to Film Buds were uh, Spider-Man 2, except I, I should put the caveat, we watched the 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 one the only the cut that the true fans know <laughs> spider-man 2.1 that's right the extended cut on <laughs> on home release um and let me tell you a gem of well that didn't feel necessary <laughs> <laughs> no especially just for a all treasure the, trove all of the effort that they like went into it they changed the title and the movie and everything and i and i couldn't tell you what the extra footage was for a bunch of moments <laughs> that you'll you'll know them because you'll go that felt longer than it should have been mm-hmm. or was that was that always there oh but my favorite <laughs> was still uh J. jonah jameson there is only one <laughs> there is one scene that is worth the addition and it is after J. jonah jameson has gotten possession of the spider-man suit from the homeless man uh his his office staff catch him dressed as spider-man pretending to shoot webs from his desk no yeah it's great because you definitely know that it's not him like in these deep lunges on his desk i think it just makes it funnier to, oh like, no imagine i think it might be him oh then good for you good for you You're i mean you so saw limber. how you saw how ripped that man was once he became like uh jim gordon and that I kind mean, of thing yeah. he's always been a fit man you know what still good for you you <laughs> limber that was great i loved it i wonder if I'd like to imagine J.K. Simmons doing yoga, because now I like to imagine him, like, starting out his day doing yoga, you know, when he was on production of Whiplash, and, you know, having a nice hour of zen, and then going in and going, are you dragging? You know, and just mm-hmm. screaming down down the neck of children. I think, that, I think that that's what you, that, that, that's what you need, honestly. Yeah, you need the come down. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. No, that's that's my favorite part from, from 2.1. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that we watched recently was Avengers Endgame. Uh, uh, we've been making our way through the MCU, uh, the first three phases, and we've only got one left, of course, the epilogue, Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm. And um, then we'll eventually debut, we've been working on a bracket yes. as well, and so once we get this done, we'll, we'll go and share the bracket. Maybe I'll even like post it on filmbuds.com so people can go and, and see the whole bracket laid out. Ooh. Um, how we did it but endgame was great you know it's still really good i i think that it's a really enjoyable film um i can understand why if you're not like a marvel stan you know or or even just passingly into marvel i can understand why it wouldn't be for you you know like if you're not if you're not in at this point this isn't the one that's going to convince you no no if anything you're just going to be so confused and be like this is really nice and colorful i just wish i cared about any of these people yeah you need you need the other the other movies to really get the impact of this one but once you do watch all the other movies i think that this movie 
just it, it's it hits a nice like you know that sweet cry spot that you you like to pick at where you're just like mm, this sucks and i like it it's hard to tell people that a film franchise is sort of justified in running that long and that you have to sort of engage at least in minimum five to six movies before this one yeah you know but i do think that if you engage in again minimum five to six movies before this one i think that the reward and payoff of the film ultimately is there yeah i mean i i'd say that that's fair because at the end of the day um we we got the the suicide the the suicide squad movie and we didn't know anything about half of those people and that was fine so i think that if you want to kind of skip out on some some of the 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 one-off movies that aren't some of the lesser ones ones, yeah yeah then then that's fine to get here i don't think that that will um dilute it at all if you're paying attention of course yeah you have to be active um but no, so that's sort of all that we've been we've been watching. Um, Lauren, of course, is going to be joining me next week. Uh, next week we have uh, sort of a heavier. Currently, it's planned to be a bit of a heavier episode. Uh, we're going to potentially be talking about nine uh, eleven through the lens of the looming tower mm. um, and a documentary um, as well. So that one won't necessarily be, you know, like super, super peppy, but, you know, it'll also not be like, you know, too dense either. We'll try and make sure that we still have a, as good a time as anyone can within good taste while yeah. discussing 9-11. Yeah, of course. Um, but thank you for, of course, joining us this week. You can always, of course, catch our previous episodes wherever podcasts, you know, whatever streaming service you're listening to this on. You can catch them on our website if you that's the filmbuds.com if you aren't already following us on our socials please do that's uh the film buds podcast on instagram and we're at film buds on twitter um so please go follow us there uh you know engage i i'm trying to be more active with the twitter so um not the Twitter is in the website, but like the Twitter is in our personal Twitter. <laughs> I'm not old. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I, I, I'm trying to be more active on Twitter. So, you know, come call me an idiot. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll yell at each other like regular people do on the internet. Um, yeah, that's healthy. Yeah, exactly. Let's be really healthy. No, I'm kidding. We can come <laughs> and we can, we can talk about things that we like and, and, you know, if, if we don't like something, we don't have to like something. That's fine. So come and check us out. If you have any questions, send them to the Podcast at gmail.com. We always love to answer your questions and get y'all into the discussion. Uh, dear, thank you for joining me. Did you, uh, did you have a good time? Yes, I did. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, it was it was essentially, you know... It, it seemed a much better pick to have you come on and be my, my co-host than to punish them with just an hour of me rambling into their <laughs> Well, if I can uh, save them from just just you lecturing, then uh, then I guess it was a win for all of us. Well, and this is, you know, this is supposed to be the film Buds, and so I, you know, other, other friends of the show were a little bit, you know, otherwise preoccupied, so I thank you for, for coming on, and you're, of course, always my bud. Oh, of course, love. 
So thank you for listening as always, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.